dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. We all know that leaders have authority and that that authority makes an impact upon those whom they lead. But the question is, how does a leader make that authority felt with strength while at the same time effectively build up the people who are underneath him with gentleness? In his work, De Regno, written to the king of Cyprus, St. Thomas Aquinas offers a valuable lesson on this subject. Thanks, everybody, for being with me again. I'm so glad that we're able to take this time to really go deeper in our leadership. Let's do, before we do anything else, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, you guys are here today because you are the chosen few who have decided to go deeper in your understanding of what it means to lead and especially what it means to lead in the light of the Catholic faith. Uh, And this is why it's just so great to have the chance to read St. Thomas Aquinas. This monk who lived in the 1200s, the 13th century, represents uh, a thinker whose thought will continue to challenge this world as long as the world goes on. Because he just went so deep in his understanding, not only of the Word of God, but also of the reasonings of humankind called philosophy, and even uh, an understanding of leadership taken from leaders themselves or the arts. Um, Thomas writes in a language that a lot of us find off-putting just because It's a language that's both philosophical and ancient. And our modern world seems to have little time for philosophy, right? We're we're men and women of action. We're men and women of production. Uh, And and we don't don't really want to take the time to slow down and really think about the deeper questions. Why? For two reasons. The first is that a lot of us doubt that we can even find those reasons. I mean, to be honest with you, if I were to take a poll of you sitting here and say, how many of you actually think that there is a right way and a wrong way to do things morally? Is there an objective morality, an objective ethics, a code of conduct that judges everything that you do? A lot of you sitting here would actually say no. Or if I were to say, is it possible to know with certitude 
any type of truth that's out there about God, about your life, about right or about wrong? Is there something that, in other words, I can say universally and objectively about reality? Uh, there's a lot of you sitting here who would say no, or you would say maybe other people could, but there's no way I ever could. I mean, just take any kind of simple question that's out there. You know, uh, uh, is it right for a human being to have private property? Yes or no? Is it a human right to, to declare a gender uh, by one's own free volition? Yes or no? Is it okay to hire people who aren't skilled in a certain area or who otherwise are deficient in order to do a job just in order to accommodate for their social status? Yes or no? And those are ethical questions. There are other things that we just like, do we know, can, will we ever be able to know something certain about our own life, our own identity, what it means to be a human being? Can we ground human rights upon anything that's objective? Is there anything bigger than the laws that the state enunciates or legislates that regulates whether those laws are just or unjust? You know, these, these are really important questions. And a lot of you sitting here say, there's no way I can know. This is where Aquinas comes in. You see, because we're all doing a job. We're all working to produce amazing things. It, the problem is that if we're not careful and we don't have a direction about where we're going with that productivity, the productivity will become a law in and of itself. And that, my friends, it isn't always a good idea. So you just saying, look, I want a leadership class that's going to help me to become, you know, a more efficient leader. That's a very wonderful thing, you know, but being more efficient in your leadership doesn't necessarily make you a better leader. There's more to leadership than productivity, right? There's, and that's where Aquinas comes in. If we're not careful, we can be very, very productive, but we can be productive in the wrong way and for the wrong things. What if we spent our time doing things and working in a way that didn't really benefit where we were supposed to be or where we were supposed to flourish as human beings? Then, in fact, what we'd be doing could undercut the very, the very effort that we're trying to produce. In other words, if, if I'm supposed to be very effective in leadership, but I'm not leading well, I'm actually ineffective, right? I could, I could organize things terrifically. I could produce things terrifically. I could have a team of people that produces things terrifically. But if they're not producing the right things in the right way, then in fact, my leadership is leading people into something that's bad. This is where Aquinas, what Aquinas says is so genius. He says you can determine whether or not a leader is doing the right thing by what he is leading the people towards, right? So again, today in our, in our modern concept of leadership, if you read the, the leadership books that are out there, go to leadership workshops that, that are out there, they're all very good, but they're all going to focus you in on how you can make your personal convictions more effective vis-a-vis -a, -vis a crowd of people or a group of people that you're leading. Very important. I hope you all go. I hope you all get those things. But what we want to give you here through the St. John Institute, we want to teach you a deeper method, which implies that first aspect of leadership, but that really goes to the depth of saying, where are you leading the people to? Do you have that profound sense that the, the effectiveness and the efficiency of your leadership 
is actually pointed towards the right end. I mean, so I, I hear, I can hear a lot of you already. I can see you and I can think of you. You're, you're, you're saying to yourself, I can read your minds. You're saying to yourselves, well, I mean, all I'm supposed to be doing is, is you know, engineering. All I'm working on is the hospital floor. I mean, there is no ethical component to this. And that's where I want to challenge you. Actually, no. Everything that we do has an ethical component. If you aren't convinced that being in charge of that floor of your hospital is for the betterment of society and for the greater good of our world, you're thinking way too small of yourselves. If you think that you being an engineer is just about numbers, I mean, you're thinking way too small of your jobs and your lives. In fact, engineers, nurses, doctors, lawyers, all the different professions and trades that are out there are there in order to make this world a better place in a deep way. It's not just what we produce that makes it better. That's the first way, but also how we do it and how we go about our work. And this is where Aquinas steps in to say a king, a leader in truth is the one who leads the people underneath him towards a true end. And that's the very first step we have to do here in, in today's workshop. We need to go deeper into understanding, am I focused on the true end? Am I leading towards something that's bigger than efficiency or productivity? Am I, am I engaged as a teacher in more than just conveying facts? Of course you are. And the more that you're in touch with that, says Aquinas, the more effectively all the productivity and efficiency that you organize is going to bear a fruit that is good. And this is, after all, exactly what we're trying to do. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org and subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. So when we get down to it, we, we start looking at this document that Aquinas wrote. Uh, it's an amazing book, right? It's a, or a little work, right? It's called De Regno on the King. And uh, if, in chapter two, towards the end here, uh, Aquinas goes into what he calls different kinds of rule. And what he's doing, he's writing to the king of Cyprus all about kingship. And he's trying to define what a king is. He's trying to, to help the king of Cyprus to become a better king. And so it's very applicable, of course, to us in our different roles. And I can already hear you, a lot of you saying, well, I'm not a king, so this is not about me. And I just want to read to you a little bit from Aquinas because he's actually, you know, got this, got this down. He says, being a king, this is in chapter, uh, chapter 2, paragraph 14. He says, being a king isn't just about a political thing. He says, the man ruling a perfect community any of any size is called a king. And by perfect community, what he means is a community that is sufficient to its own needs. So you in your, in your workplace are called, according to the definition of Aquinas, to a kind of kingship, right? That's a, that's a neat thing to think about, right? Because what, what then does he say a king does? And he says, the idea of king implies the notion of a single person who is at the head and that this single person at the head of that community, that organization, be a shepherd, 
seeking the common good of the multitude and not his own. That's a direct quote, paragraph 13, chapter 2 from De Regno. Now, what is so powerful about that? That notion of the two things, the common good and shepherding. I want to first talk about what the common good is because I know a lot right away we're thinking, oh my goodness, this is this philosophy again. It's over my head. This is above my pay grade, you know, etc. But you think too little of yourselves. You can understand this notion and it's key to understanding so much of what the Catholic Church tradition has about leadership. The, the point is that a leader is supposed to be the one who governs and serves to build up the common good. This is the difference between, you know, a leader, for example, and a father. Because the father, it goes beyond the common good. If you just say, I'm a dad, my job, my job as a dad is to uh, provide for the kids. So I give them money, I give them cars, I give them a room, I give them clothes, and then that's what I'm supposed to do, right? Because, so I create the common good called the wealth and the family, and then I govern the distribution of that common good according to the needs of each. I, that's not fatherhood, right? Fatherhood is a lot more than that because with the father, you give identity to the children. And giving identity is a very personal good. You form the heart. You form the character of your children. You form who they are on the inside. And that's that process of education, which defines the role of the father, is much more than providing for the common good, okay? You're providing for their personal good as well. Whereas when you're an organization, of course, you try to provide for the personal good to a degree, to a degree that you go beyond your role as an organizational leader. And, you know, you, 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 but those moments are few and far between. That's not what I'm focusing in on. I'm focusing in on your role in terms of an organizational leader, understanding what the real point is. And the real point of that is that all that binds the people in your given organization, secular, nonprofit, or religious, it doesn't really matter. What binds those people together, that has been entrusted to you. That means that the very first thing that a leader has to keep in their mind at all times is to keep your focus on the mission at hand. What unites us in this organization and what I have to be sufficient for is to make sure that we can accomplish what has brought us here together. Now, that means, yes, it means making whatchamacallits, whatever it might be, or, you know, filling tables at a restaurant, processing a person through a hospital, whatever this might be that we're doing, that has been the material function, right, of what we have, and that becomes our mission in the eyes of many. But I want to tell you, your mission is broader than what the majority of people think it is. It's not because we in our secular world today want to tend tend to reduce that sense of mission to what is purely measurable, purely material, right? In the end, you know, like our mission at this restaurant is to serve meals, okay? Well, I mean, like you're right if you're going to say that. So you gather your team together and you're like, folks, what we need to do is serve meals. We need to serve them as quickly as we can so that we can, you know, turn over as many tables as we can without at the same time jeopardizing the experience of the customer. That way we feed the multitudes, we feed as many as we can, and we feed them in as pleasant a way as we deem possible. Well, you're like, well, yeah, that's the mission. That's the mission of a restaurant. Well, it is, 
But that's also a very truncated notion of that mission. What if you were to bring your Catholic faith to bear into that understanding of leadership and say, you know what my Catholic faith teaches me? My Catholic faith teaches me that, that the human beings who are coming into this restaurant have an immortal soul. And that that immortal soul lifts them from beyond the mere experience of consuming food into an experience of dining, of encountering others, of interactions where they feel their dignity again. What if we could make a restaurant where our mission was to serve meals, sure, but to serve meals in a way that would lift every single person who came into this restaurant to a new level of consciousness about who they are, a new level of awareness of their dignity in the eyes of God, sure, and even in their own eyes. I mean, this would become part of the common good, right? The, the, one of the travesties of today's secular world is that in, in secular terms, we reduce everything to what we can measure. We can measure by scientific progress. There's other ways of measurement besides modern science, my friends. There's other ways to look at things besides just what you can touch and what you can put a numerical value to. And the quality of the interaction between your wait staff and the people at the table can become your mission. The quality of the artwork on the walls, the music that's being played in your little restaurant, take that as the example, right? This, what if this were to become your mission? Then you'd be leading your people in a whole way of greater depth saying our common good is everything that services that mission. And so that also means our own good, our own healthy balance, our own sense of spirituality, our own sense of culture. And your restaurant takes on a whole new allure and your leadership becomes much deeper. I used restaurants as an example, but you could use that in a million different ways. Take yourself, you're at the head of an engineering team. And you're like, our mission is to do these engineering projects. Well, that's true, but that's also a very small thing. What if our mission was to do these engineering product projects with a sense of teamwork and respect for one another that makes each one of our days better? You're going to be just as efficient, but you're going to be a broader, have a broader vision of that common good. This, this is really important because when you look at what the common good is, it's that set of conditions which allows each member of a community to attain their personal good. That set of conditions which allow each member of a community to attain their personal good. That's why when we're, we start a business off, usually we're the one who does the business. We're really good at shining shoes, so we go out and shine shoes. And then you say to yourselves, well, we need to like hire other people because the business is growing. And now all of a sudden you find yourself not shining shoes anymore. You don't have time. But instead worrying about buying the inventory, managing the people, working on the, 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 the marketing, thinking of the strategy, working on the legal agreements for your employees with their customers, whatever it might be. You, end up, you started by shining shoes and you ended up by running a business. Well, that's because as a leader, your focus shifts away from delivering the goods into creating a community, an environment of the common goods so that others can equitably and beautifully deliver that good that you used to deliver on your own. That's the common good. It's that set of conditions which allow each member of a given community to attain their personal good through the interaction with that community. And for our workers, 
That means having the set up that helps them to succeed in their work. And I would say even better to transcend their work by making it something that's genuinely human for themselves. This is the power of the thought of Aquinas. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. But you know, when we look at this powerful document by St. Thomas on the king, this letter he wrote to the king of, of Cyprus, it, he focuses us in by this kind of a jolt. And you could almost look at this saying, you know, isn't this just typical spiritual poeticism, right? Uh, he calls kings shepherds. And you're like, oh my goodness. But let's take a look at this because Aquinas is not known for his poetry, okay? So when he says things, usually means them in a pretty exact sense. We're looking at chapter 2, paragraph 11. And he says, If an unjust government is carried on by one man alone who seeks his own benefit from his rule and not the good of the multitude subject to him, such a ruler is called a tyrant, a word derived from strength, because he oppresses by might instead of ruling by justice. Uh, that's pretty amazing. In like manner, paragraph 12, we must divide just governments. And if a just government is in the hands of one man alone, he is properly called a king. Wherefore, the Lord says by the mouth of Ezekiel, my servant David shall be king over them and all of them shall have one shepherd. From this, it is clearly shown that the idea of king implies that he be one man who is chief and that he be a shepherd, seeking the common good of the multitude and not his own. Now that's pretty amazing because what Aquinas is showing us there is that the notion that a king be a shepherd actually comes from God himself. Of course, he gives us that amazing quote from the prophet Ezekiel, David shall be king over them and they shall have one shepherd. So in the words of God, the, the title shepherd and the title king go hand in hand. And then Thomas takes it a step further and he's like, well, what makes it a shepherd? He says, a shepherd works for the good of those who are entrusted to them instead of using those who are entrusted to them for their own, their own personal gain. It's the, the quest for gain versus the, the quest for good. Now, obviously, the two are not mutually exclusive, exclusive. The genius of a Catholic leader would be one who combines the two, right? How can I make the most profit I can while running a good business? And obviously, that's, that's what we're all about. But at the same time, we have to make sure that the order is correct. The first, my first role as a leader is the goodness of the people who are underneath me and the upbuilding of my people. And that implies the gain of profit, number one. And the gain of profit is the way that we're organized. We've organized our particular community. We're people who are together in order to produce a mission that is profitable. Right? But my focus as a leader isn't just the production of a, of a mission that is profitable. If I did that, I would be reducing my work life into a purely material exercise 
that robs my people of a deeper understanding of their own goodness and limits my own mission and my own organizational output to something that is less than the true spiritual value that it could have. And I will be so tempted by doing that to use my people, use them in order to gain because I can in the end punish people for, for having children. I, you know, in one way or the other, I can limit their ability to take time off. I could not allow them to, to, to take care for relatives who are ill. I could work like a tyrant because I'm focusing purely on what I define the mission to be outside of the human context of my workers. And now you can do that. You just won't be an effective Catholic leader. An effective Catholic leader is one who says the good of my people in the whole totality of who they are is touched upon at one level or another, and maybe a very light level, but at one level or another by their work in my organization. And I need to keep that into account because my people are part of my mission. The second thing that he points out here is that the key to being a shepherd as a leader is the word justice. This is a really important concept and one that we don't give a lot of credit to in our world today. We, we think of justice as being entirely from political or criminal terms, almost like the justice uh, of the state is a punishment. And so I should be a king who, or a leader who rules with mercy or with love or compassion, but not justice. Here Aquinas is very precise. The role of a ruler is justice. The role of the ruler is to make sure that each individual has what they need in order to fulfill the mission and to fulfill that mission in a way that benefits them at the same time as building up the common good. You're not here in order to mother the people. You're not here in order to educate them from the inside in a fatherly way. That's not your first point. You're here is to protect the mission of the organization and to do so in a way that at the same time protects the rights of each individual who's there. That's where sometimes people are like, it's just business. Say, you know, this person goes, this person comes, you have to defend the organization. And you do to a degree. But let's be careful that defending of the organization always has to take in mind the personal good of the people who are there as well. They also have the right to expect from that organization the benefits that, that should normally accrue to an individual who works for them. In this way, we shepherd our people by inculcating the sense of justice and by bringing that justice effectively to our workplace. This is our call. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.